0: cover this morning thanks for coming out this morning we're going to be in revelation 2 working through this series on discipleship this is the key theme i have is discipleship seen through a directional lens is about setting our eyes to christ and then continually walking to him all right listen we're not going to ever arrive meaning this side of heaven we're never going to arrive and say i am fully discipled because we will never be perfect and so what we need to do is look at Christ and continue to walk in that way towards him, realizing where there's curves in the road and, and, and dips and doodahs and valleys, but we want to continue to keep our eyes on Christ, all right? We want to have our attitude, so let's go ahead and say our verse. Philippians 2, 5, we'll do reference, the verse, and then the reference, all right? Philippians 2, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. All right, we're going to go to modern-day Turkey today. We're in the middle of a study or beginning a study on the seven churches. This is in modern-day Turkey. Remember where we were two weeks ago? Ephesus, you're right, yes. We were in Ephesus, and we looked at Ephesus, and we said what they needed to learn and what they needed to tweak and get right was they had lost their first love. They have become a loveless church, and that is something that Jesus pointed out to them. So we're going 35 miles up the road to the town and the city of Smyrna. This is the only modern-day city and church that still survives. Does anybody know what it's called? You're right. It's Izmir, Turkey. So if you ever wanted to go to Izmir, Turkey, you would see the church at Smyrna. Now it's interesting about Smyrna. I had to do, I did a lot of study because I had two weeks to prepare for this. That's the good news. The bad news is I've got two weeks of pent-up Preachingness within me to talk about the church at Smyrna. Now it was to the church that suffered. We heard about that when we read. Now it's interesting that Smyrna means myrrh. Now if you think about it, myrrh, it can only be enjoyed when what happens when it's squished. Almost like a grape. You can't get what's inside until you put in a little bit of pressure, or in this case, a little bit of persecution, or a lot of persecution, and then what is squished, what's inside, it comes out. And so it's interesting, the commentators say myrrh, which must be crushed to give forth its fragrance. And so we're going to see this morning that this church is going to be suffering, it's going to be persecuted. Now, I want to tell you about a man who I met this week. His name is Polycarp. Has anybody ever heard of the man named Polycarp? All right, show of hands. Okay, couple, good. Polycarp, he was a mentee of the Apostle John, the last person that was able to have an eyewitness account or an interaction or a relationship with one of the 12 apostles. And he died, you see, he lived in 69 he died in 156 now if we believe that the book of revelation was written around 7 around 90 ad quick math he was in his low 20s when this when this letter was was distributed to the seven churches. And so most commentators believe that Polycarp sat in a building, sat in the town, sat in the church, and he heard this letter being read as it was penned by John the apostle, his mentor. Now it's interesting, if you know anything about Polycarp, I have five pages of information about Polycarp. The good news is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squish it down into 30 seconds, but what happened is he is going to be persecuted. And his story, it hit me so much, and it, and it just resonated with me, and it just made me sit down and think, wow. So I want to read some of you his account of what happened, all right? So what happened was that he was a man that was preaching the gospel. He was furthering the ministry of Christ and the gospel of Christ. Well, Rome did not like that. And so what happened was they put out an APB on him. And so the people that Polycarp was around, they wanted and they encouraged him to keep moving. You can't catch a moving target. But what happened was Polycarp finally said, in my words, enough is enough. So what happened was when they captured him, he was praying. He was praying for the Lord to give him strength. He was praying for the Lord to give him wisdom. Who else does that sound like? Well, it took me back to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. So then what happened was that Polycarp, during his trial, he was quiet, but then when he did speak, he spoke with respect, and he spoke the gospel. So what happened was they wanted to put him and put him to death. So they decided, how are we going to put him to death? Well, they put him into a ring with the wild animals. So if you ever watched the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, put that into your mind. They put him in there, but that didn't work for them because the wild beast had just been fed. So that they didn't want to do that. So what happened was they had to find charges and find a way to kill him. The charge was that he was an over, overthrower of the gods, little g. And so they, would, they knew that the wild beast and the lions would not eat him because they had already eaten their meal. So they had to find another way to, to kill him because they wanted him to die. They were persecuting him. They were squishing him. So what they ended up doing was they decided that they wanted to burn him at the stake. Now what happened was, it's interesting, uh, they wanted to burn him at the stake, and then what happened was they were going to nail him to a cross. And they were going to light the bonfire on fire, and they were going to lift this cross that he was nailed to, and they were going to throw him into this fire. But then Polycarp looked at him and said, you don't need to nail me to the cross. You don't have to do that. I will willingly go into the fire. So they bound him, hands and feet, and he went into the fire. Sounds a lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here's, I'm going to, I got this from my MacArthur commentary, and I'm going to read, it's about three paragraphs, and and I want you to sit back and think about this. Think about what this man went through. They did not nail him then, but they simply bound him, and he, placing his hands behind him and being bound like a distinguished ram, taken out of a great flock for sacrifice, and he prepared to be an acceptable burnt offering unto God. He looked up into heaven and he said, O Lord my God, God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and thy blessed Son of Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, The God of angels and the powers and of every creature and of every whole race of righteousness who live before thee, I give thee thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour that I should have a part in number with thy martyrs in the cup of thy Christ to the resurrection of the eternal life, both soul and body, though this incorruption imparted by the Holy Ghost, among whom may I be accepted this day. Before thee as a fat and acceptable sacrifice, according as thou, the ever true God, has foreordained, hast revealed beforehand to me, and now hast fulfilled. Wherefore also I praise thee, for with all things I bless thee. I glorify thee among with the everlasting and the heavenly Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, with whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory both now and to the coming ages. Amen. When he had pronounced his amen and so finished his prayer, those who were appointed for the purpose kindled the fire and the flame blazed forth in great fury. We to whom it was given to witness, it beheld a great miracle and we have preserved that we might report it to others. What then took place? For the fire shaping itself in the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship when filled with air, encompassed as by a circle the body of the martyr. And he appeared within, not like flesh which is burnt, but as bread that is baked, or as gold and silver glowing in the furnace. Moreover, we perceive such a sweet odor coming from the pile, as if frankincense or some special precious spice had been smoked there. At length, when those wicked men perceived that his body could not be consumed by the fire, They commanded an an executioner to go near and pierce him through with a dagger. And on his doing this, there came forth a dove and a great quantity of blood, so that the fire was extinguished, and all the people wondered that there should be such a difference between the believers and unbelievers, of whom this most admirable polycarp was one, Having in our own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and a minister of the church, which was in Smyrna. For every word that went out of his mouth either has been or shall be accomplished. Persecution. We look at this today and we go, oh, that was in 156 AD. That was almost 2,000 years ago. That could never happen. Well, Randy has been doing a good job of coming in and out and talking about the persecuted church. And so I found some really neat figures, not neat, humbling figures, Uh, And I want to share them with you. Every six minutes, a Christian is killed for following Christ. We've been here for 36 minutes. How many people have passed? Six. Wow. From November 2017 to October 2018, over 245 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 4,305 Christians are killed for their faith. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings are attacked. 3,150 believers are detained without trial. They are arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. So we see that there is a great persecution happening. And it's hard for us to sit here in America. It's hard for us to sit here in Heartland, Maine, and go, I don't understand persecution. But the one goal that I have for us walking out of here from this morning is we may not face persecution, but we have brothers and sisters that do. And then the second thing we need to to resonate in our own hearts, am I ready to face persecution if it should come? All right. So let's look at the the suffering church, knowing now that there is a man that read this letter, heard this letter, and then he faced uh, persecution and suffering. All right. So we're going to look at the suffering church. In the back of your bulletin, there are notes if you want to take them. It's the same outline as two weeks ago. I just got more creative because I wanted to. I had two weeks to to try to work this out. So we're going to have one that's in authority. This week, we're going to look at the one who suffered the most. Who suffered the most? Jesus did. Jesus is the one that suffered the most. So he has the right to be able to speak truth into this. Side note, before I get in there, do you know who the greatest counselor is? One who has gone through what the other person is going through. Because then you can go and you can speak truth into that. 2 Corinthians 1.4, you comfort each other with the comfort you have received. And so as you read this, think about here comes Jesus. He's sitting through the Holy Spirit who works through John. He then works and he begins to his ministry by looking and understanding and saying, I understand what you're going through. And it's not just a, I read about this. It's not a, I saw this on YouTube. It's Jesus saying, I went and I suffered and I understand where you are at. All right, so let's look at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna... All right, so this is what church in Smyrna. Smyrna, hey, pay attention. This is your word. This is not for Ephesus. It's not for Thyatira. This is for Smyrna. Smyrna, pay attention. Hey, look up. Smyrna, this is for you. Oh, yeah, I'm back. I'm listening. I'm engaged. All right, these things, write. Hey, write this down. This is important. It's important. These things says the first and the last the omniscience and omnipresence and the eternality of Christ. He's the beginning and he's the end. So the one that made it all, he is the one that's saying, listen. all right? Who was dead and who came to life? So it's interesting. Jesus was dead and he came to life. Just think about what these folks are, are suffering. They're suffering. And here comes Jesus saying, I- I'm the first and I'm the last. I've got the first word. I'm going to get the last word. I was dead, but don't forget, I came back to life. And 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve as those who have hope because Christ came and he rose from the dead. You can almost just sit here and think, all right, hey, it's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. But don't forget, Jesus has got final word. And he's speaking from a position of saying, I know what you're going through, but don't worry. I have the last word. And you can almost see, you can almost sense. you got to be careful with the word feel. You can almost sense a peace that Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay. We're good. All right? The one who died and then came back to life. The church is experiencing that persecution. Polycarp experienced that, and he had peace because he knew he would come back to life. This is Jesus writing this. All right, let's go to the second point. Jesus sees the suffering. So not only does he understand, not only is he the one that suffered the most, but then he also sees the suffering. Because what happens in our life, friends, is sometimes we suffer, and when we suffer, the first thing we think about or the first thing we say is, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, have you forgot about me? God, are you forgetting about your promises to me? And we forget and we feel, doesn't mean it's right. We feel like God has turned his back on us. This church is facing significant persecution and suffering. And you could, I can almost, in my mind's eye, have put myself in their spot and say, they're wondering, Jesus, where are you? And here comes Jesus speaking into that truth, saying, you know what? I see your suffering. I see it i understand it i've been there i've done that if you want to write down hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin and so we don't have a savior says hey i read about that we have a savior that experienced it all and he lives in triumph. Let's look at verse nine. All right, I know your works. All right, Jesus is able to look in. He sees and he knows their works. I know your tribulation, your persecution, that squishing idea, that that pressure idea. Remember myrrh, which is what means Smyrna. You can't get the good stuff out until you put a little bit of pressure. I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. Interesting. Most commentators believe they were experiencing poverty because people would not buy their goods they would not buy their products they would not use their harbors because they would not bow to the roman influence they would not say caesar is god and so what they said is if you won't follow us then we are not going to be using your services we're not going to be buying your goods what happens if you have a service and no one comes to your store all right, uh, I'm off I'm off cue here. Let's see. Who has a business? Who has a business? Brooks appraisal. All right, good. We'll pick on Brooks appraisal. This is not an endorsement or a condemnation of the business, okay? I am neither a pro-lifer or a pro a pro-brookster or a not pro-brookster. Okay. But what would happen if Sarah has this business and she has nobody come to her business? What's gonna happen to her business? She's not going to get any money. Well, what happens if she doesn't get any money? Well, then she's not going to be able to pay her bills. Mark's not in the picture. We took Mark out. Mark, you're gone, bud. All right? She can't pay her bills. She can't feed her family. Hopi and Julia, you better start coming to the baby shower this afternoon and get your food because mom can't afford it anymore. All right? So there's all kinds of poverty. They can't afford to live. They lose their home. They have a great amount of poverty. It's the same thing happening in this church. Back to God's word. I know your tribulation. I see what people are doing. I see them not using your business. And you are living in great poverty, earthly speaking. According to this world, they are living in poverty. But what does Jesus say? But you are rich. Because the things of this earth grow faintly dim in the light of his glory and grace. So he says, in light of eternity, you are extremely wealthy but right now you're living in poverty. Interesting, he says, I know the blaspheme. I know what people are saying. They are saying bad things. They are making up lies. They are saying mistruths about you. He says, I see that, I hear that, I understand it. I see it all. Those who say they are Jews and they are not. So there are people saying, oh, we're the Jewish people, but they're not. So what they're doing is there's people saying they're Jewish and they're stirring the pot, increasing the persecution, increasing the tribulation, and then they're pulling back. It's almost like you got someone in your family that just stirs the pot and then they know just the right second to pull out before it all breaks down. You have those people in your family. Does anybody have those people in your family? If you don't have those people in your family, you are that person. Okay, So you have those people that get everything all stirred up. That's what the people that are Jewish are doing they're stirring the pot and then they're pulling out because if they're not persecuting me they're persecuting you and i'd rather have them persecute you than persecute me all in the name of jesus air quote jesus because i see that i see that blasphemy that they are doing and they are from where satan they are the ones that are stirring up the conflict Two, two quotes here from different people, or one quote uh, is uh, from the King James Bible Commentary, one I, I read every week. It says it this way, Satan attacked this church from without by persecution and from within by the perversion of the doctrine. So he's trying to get them in outside in saying, hey, I'm going to cause bad times, there's going to be hard times, and the church is going to crumble. He's going to try to come in underneath and cause a wrong teaching. He does not want this church to exist. Why? Because if this church folds, the gospel folds, and the influence of the church goes away, and people won't be hearing the word of God. They won't be challenged by the word of God. However, therefore, nevertheless, on the other hand, my favorite conjunction, but. But the evil had not made it into the church. The church stood up to the persecution. The church stood up to the test. Why? Because Christ did not call the church to repent. You read this passage. Jesus never told this church to repent because this church never did anything wrong. They were willing to stand up to the persecution and to the tribulation. So Jesus is saying, Go, go, be encouraged. He gave an encouraging word. You ever been in a tough time? You've been in a tough time, right? You gotta love those people to come and knock on the door you got to love Christian people sometimes. They come in and knock your door and say, what sin did you do that caused this? Talk about kicking a man while he's down. That's not what we need in times of trial. What we need in times of trial is encouragement. We need to be encouraged. So if you're going through a trial, you need to be encouraged by God's word. If you're not going through a trial and you know someone going through a trial... Go and be an encouragement to them. There is a time and a place for them to be told where they're wrong. But there's a time and a place for an encouragement. From this passage, I see encouraging words that need to be spread for those going through difficult times. All right? Third point, verse 10. Jesus knows the suffering is coming. He knows that suffering is coming. Look at it. I've suffered I see your suffering, bad news, there's more to come. It's not going to end. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Let's look at verse 10. Do not fear. How many times is fear mentioned in the Bible? 365 times. How many days out of the year do we have? 366 this year. So I, as your pastor, give you permission to be fearful one day out of the year. Are you with me this morning? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it a coincidence that we have 365 times that God says, do not fear? And we have 365 days. So he tells this church, going undergoing tremendous persecution, what's the first thing he says? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. There is a part of this that I personally can't identify with. I can't identify with what Polycarp went through. I can't identify with what this church is going through because I've never seen it. But just imagine, sit back under persecution. This church is saying it's going to get worse. But Jesus says, do not fear. Peace, comfort. Do not fear of those things which you are about to suffer. It's going to get worse. Don't fear. Don't worry about the suffering. Why? Because it's so short in light of eternity. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. The purpose of prison was to, for a couple of things: you were awaiting a trial, you were awaiting your sentence, or you were awaiting death. If you were put in trial, if you were put in jail to go to to, uh, to the stadium, you had to wait until the wild beasts were hungry, and you would go into that prison. You would wait until it's dinner time, and they would escort you out, and then you would go into the stadium, and they would watch that whole. thing. Activity, I guess, unfold. You had to wait in prison. Why? Because they didn't want you to escape. So some of them are sitting in prison waiting for their death. Who's behind us? Well, the devil is. The devil's behind it. Why? He doesn't want the church to succeed. He wants the church to fold. And he's going to get it from outside with persecution. He's going to try to come in through bad doctrine. The church did not follow through. They stood strong. That you may be tested What's the point of this? It's to be tested. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials or testing of many kinds. Easy for you to say when you're not going through it. Hard for you to believe when you're in the middle of it. Consider it pure joy. This is a test. John 15, 20. Jesus says, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. Look what they did to Jesus. Look at your outline. He's the one that suffered the most. We need to be ready to suffer. Something we have a hard time understanding in 2020 in America. So however, you will have tribulation for 10 days. So here's a a Bible seminary concept that I follow there's two different theories about this 10 days some commentators say it's a literal 10 days some commentators mean think 10 days means like a period and they lay out the next 10 leaders of Rome that were very very bad i prefer to read the bible naturally until it naturally doesn't make sense so when i read this and goes that you may be tested you will have tribulation for 10 days i read that a literal 10 days and that's how I see it. Am I willing to die for it? No pun intended. No, but it's a way that I read the Bible because it naturally makes sense. So for the next 10 days, here comes John writing from the word of Jesus. It's going to get really bad for 10 days, but don't worry. It will be okay. Some, some Bible translators say that it's a short-lived time. It's a short window of persecution. So the question I, what I asked myself sitting in my study in my office was, why do we suffer? I have four reasons I got from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. You might want to write these down. Some of them uh, are true at multiple times. Some of them are not. Sometimes we suffer because of a punishment. When you do something wrong, you suffer a punishment. When I was a kid, when I did something wrong, and my parents says, don't you eat that, and I went and I ate it, guess what happened? I got punished, and then I went to my mom. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sometimes what happens is we get punished because we do something wrong, and we suffer. Sometimes we suffer because we become prideful. Look at how great I am. Look at how wonderful I am. Look at this, this organization couldn't make it without me. This church couldn't make it without me. This country couldn't make it without me. This town couldn't make it without me. And we become prideful. And Christ does not want us to become prideful. He wants us to become humble. So sometimes we suffer to prevent our pride. Third thing is that we need to learn obedience. We need to be able to obey through suffering. It's easy to follow Christ when it's easy, right? It's hard to follow Christ when it's hard. And so it's a challenge for us. And sometimes what happens is it's a better testimony for others. Because some people suffer, and they suffer difficultly. That's a word. And they don't suffer and bring glory to the name of Jesus. I think about Cal, who suffers, and he is suffering well. He wants people to come to know Christ. And sometimes we suffer because they look at people like Cal. And they go, how can you suffer this way? How can you have this and not curse God and die? Because he wants people to come to know Christ. These aren't the only four. They're just four things I found from this commentator, this commentary that I wanted to share. Let's keep going, all right? So Jesus has a challenge in 10b, all right? So I took verse 10, and I broke it into two different points, all right? So 10b, Jesus is going to give a challenge. He says, be faithful. Be faithful until death. So he writes this church, and he sees that he knows because he knows everything. Why? Because he's the first and the last. He's the first and the last. He knows what's going to happen. He knows all of time because he's omniscient. He's sovereign. And he goes, I want you to be faithful. And in my mind's eye, I see a young polycarp sitting there 20-some years old, sitting there reading this going, yeah, I'm going to be faithful. John wrote this. I know I need to be faithful. I need to be faithful. 20-some odd years later, Here comes Polycarp, and he is faithful until death. And he doesn't want you to be faithful until it becomes difficult. He doesn't want to become faithful until it becomes trying. He wants you to be faithful until the ultimate sacrifice of death. And then he says, but, or, and, I will give you the crown of life. Because sometimes what happens is when we suffer as Christians, we think that God does not love us, that God does not care for us, that God has abandoned us, that he's turned his back on us. Jesus is writing this church. Think about it. Sit back and think about it. He's writing this church going, hey, when you suffer, don't worry. Be faithful to the end, and then you're not going to suffer anymore. You're going to have the crown of life. The crown of life being eternal life. Now, let's make sure we understand. How do they get eternal life? They don't get eternal life because they suffer. They get eternal life because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And because they are willing to follow him, take up their cross, and follow Christ. So don't leave here saying, I need to suffer in order to have eternal life. You need to leave here saying, I have eternal life, therefore I may have to suffer. You understand this? Make sure we understand that the right way. It's not a works-based salvation. It is a, I have salvation. This may come. All right, don't leave her saying, Tom's saying we're going to suffer. We might. I don't know. I'm walking through life just as much as you are looking at things going, this is what God's word has to say. But look here saying, wow, there are people that are suffering. And I would hope and pray that they can get a copy of Revelation chapter 2 and receive comfort by this because they should be faithful until death. And then when they get to heaven, they're going to hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. And Jesus is going to put a crown on their head. Just imagine what that looks like. Just imagine. I was with Mildred's family the other week. and I just looked at them and said, just imagine what her life was like at 801 and she got to heaven. What would that, what's that like? I, I have no idea. But it just blows your mind. Just think about that church that was suffering. I'm going to get a crown because Jesus is proud of. Because he has called us to suffer. Warren Wearsby, he says it this way. He says, they may not have the approval of man, but they did of God. And friends, this is hard. Because we want people's approval. We want people to like us. We want people to accept us. We want people to be our friend. We want to have many, many friends and many, many social networks. But what happens here is are we seeking the approval of man? Or are we seeking the approval of God? Where's We nailed it right here. Because this church was being persecuted inside, outside, upside, downside, right side, wrong side. Every side they turned, they were facing persecution. But they held strong because they were seeking God's approval, not man's approval. Let's look at this uh, final point and then we're done. Verse 11, Jesus is going to give a promise. Just look at this. Look at this. The one who suffered the most, Jesus wrote them. Jesus sees the suffering. He knows suffering's coming. Jesus is looking at the suffering, and in the midst of it, he's challenging them. And then at the end, he's going to give them a promise. And the promises of Jesus, they always happen. They may not happen on my time frame, but they happen when Jesus is good and ready for them to happen. Let's look at verse 11. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember from two weeks ago, all the letters were read in all the churches. So even though they're not in Ephesus, they would read the Ephesus letter. Even though they weren't in Smyrna, they read about what's going on in Smyrna. The church would hear it. However many were there, just as many as here this morning or more. Hey, he who has an ear, let him hear. There is a big message to the whole church, but there's an individual message to you. And what happens is when you hear this message, the, the, the human reaction is, boy, I hope that this person's listening. Oh, I wish this person was here. I wish they would get this CD. I wish this. I wish they would have come. But there's a message for each one of us. You have an ear. Hey, listen. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He who has an ear, that's you, that's me. You listen. Don't just hear, listen. Listen. To what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. When you face persecution, you will not face more persecution. You are going to receive the crown of life. You may see and face persecution now, but you will not face any punishment when you see Christ. Keep faithful, keep strong, keep going, keep remembering and being obedient to Christ. Keep going. Be faithful. Three questions for you, and then we're going to close with uh, communion this morning. The first one is, am I seeking man's approval, human approval, or am I seeking God's approval? Because what happens is we can sometimes walk through life and we can start leaning more towards man's approval, people's approval, than God's approval. And sometimes we make decisions, and we don't make it based upon God's word. We're going to make it based upon if people are going to like me, or people are going to affirm me, or people are going to like me. The question that we really need to wrestle with is, am I seeking human approval or God? Think about it. Step back. You heard what happened to Polycarp. Do you think they had people that weren't really in part of the church? No, the church, those that weren't really interested, they scattered. Why? They didn't want to be persecuted. And so those that believed and they knew the cost they'd have to pay, they were there because they wanted God's approval. How about you? How about me? Whose approval am I seeking? Second one is do I need encouragement? We may not face struggles. We may not face persecution as Polycarp faced. But we have tough times. And it might be a difficult time in life. It's January. It's cold. It's snowing. Some of you got to go back home and finish shoveling. The bills are higher than the money's coming in. You've got family crises. You've got trials. You've got things going on in your life. And you're saying, I could just use an encouraging word. Do you need encouragement? Do you need encouragement? Final one is, Am I ready to face tough times? See, what happens here is we can talk about it, I can talk about it, but in your heart of hearts, you have to be settled. And go, do I believe, do I know, and am I willing to suffer for my relationship with Christ? I don't know if it's coming. Listen, I don't know if it's coming. But I do know that we need to have that settled in our hearts so that when it does come, we can remain faithful. And I'm not willing to suffer for too much. But I'm willing to suffer for the people that I love. And that happens through a relationship with Christ. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Lord, we're thankful for this church in Smyrna. It's been challenging. It's been hard to hear. People, think of people that are facing persecution. Lord, we're thankful for the freedoms that we have. We don't want to sit here and, and not be thankful for what we have. We live in the greatest country in the world with all the freedoms we have in the world, and we think of our brothers and sisters who are in great, facing great persecution. So we pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that we would be willing people that want to seek your approval and not human or man approval. Lord, if there's someone here that's going through a trial, I pray that you would encourage them. Whether it's somebody in this church right now, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a a visit, whether it's an email, whether it's a hug, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to receive encouragement and then also willing to give encouragement and finally i pray lord that you would help us to be ready to face difficult times or help us to love you and want to serve you and we're thankful for this church in smyrna for the example they set on how to face persecution and lord as we turn our attention now to remember why we're here we're here to remember your life your death, and your resurrection, and we do that through communion. Lord, help us and prepare our hearts to remember, to be thankful, and to be worshipful of what you did for us so many years ago so that we can have the opportunity to have eternal life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to have the guys come forward, and we're going to turn our attention to uh, worshiping the Lord through remembering communion.